Welcome to this episode of the Barbell CEO Podcast. This is episode three, and I'm your host, Mike Dewar. And today's going to be a fun one. I have a, a very upbeat uh, friend and, and strength coach on here who is up and coming in the world of Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, and strongman and strongwoman. And today's all going to be about conversations that we just have on our, our group chats and you know on our instant messaging and DMs on, online. And it's going to be a hodgepodge of different concepts and what's been working. Uh, for instance, the build strength. Uh, if you hit plateaus with your regular squat training, uh, why we think that as a coach, it's important to have coaches and sometimes even get coached and get programmed by other coaches. And how do you go about doing that? And, and why do some coaches choose not to do that? Um, we're going to dive into that. And then lastly, this is something that you know a lot of us, maybe we're getting older in our lifting careers, maybe we're kind of banged up, life gets in the way. How do we take our strength and continue to progress it past the intermediate to advanced uh, levels while we're also dealing with life stress, and whether that's businesses or family or travel or just the simple act of aging. Um, so I'm really excited to have my special guest on today, and we're going to now intro Mr. Alec Bagan. Yay! All right, so we have Alec Bagan here. Uh, super excited to have him on. Alec, what's going on? What's going on, Mike? Thank you for having me on the show today, sir. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for getting on on such short notice. You are uh, what our viewers might not know is is while you lift heavy weights, you are also saving kittens. I I save cats in my spare time, and that's what I'm doing right now. Before this, I had the great pleasure of cleaning up cat poop, which is great. Yeah, doing now doing we're here to talk about squats. Yeah, big 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 things, big things happening on this end. Um, so for those of uh, my listeners who don't know you yet, um, I guess give them a little bit of like, uh, what's your, what's your intro? You know, how do you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? Or I'll give you I mean, maybe a brief synopsis of what it is that I do in fitness. Maybe help a little bit. Uh, originally I got into fitness through mixed martial arts training when I was really young. My brother is a professional mixed martial arts fighter and growing up, I would just train with him. And that was a super fun skill-based physical activity that I really, really enjoyed and needed. And then from there, a couple after, I would say I did that from ages 14 to 19, I switched over to traditional training. I got a job, I got an internship at Peak Performance, which was the premier training facility in New York City before they closed down. They housed and hosted a lot of some of the best trainers in the East Coast, people like Dan Trank, Ed Williams, Pat Davidson, uh, just to name a few. And I was really, really lucky enough to be their interns for a number of years. From there, uh, Started, got into Olympic weightlifting after powerlifting and after CrossFit, I should say. And uh, just haven't stopped training the strength sports since, you know, since that internship, essentially, uh, when I was 19. So that's pretty much, pretty much my training history right there. Yeah, pretty. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're definitely, um, you have not stopped doing the strength sports. And that's how I met Alec. Uh, we we kind of knew we were in the fitness circle in New York City, which as big as a New York City it is, I feel like it's a very tight knit. Like oh, it's so small. Once you're in the everybody circle, like, knows this person knows this person. Um, so that's how we came across. But I think I knew you because I did a little bit of pilot. I think I, I knew you once I started weightlifting more. Yeah, yeah. So I met you. When did I meet you? I met you. You were you had just stopped. You had just competed in a powerlifting meet that you did. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and you were transitioning into predominantly trying to try to do weightlifting. And I think he had only done maybe a meet or two at that point. Maybe, maybe none. I'm not sure. Yeah, none. But um, and I, I had zero meets under my belt at that point. I was just transitioning out of doing CrossFit. I did, I did one CrossFit competition, which is hilarious. But um, and uh, did you go to the games? Uh, regionals, regionals. regionals. Uh, I did not go to regionals for the record. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I, uh, I did, I did, I think one in-house meet at that point at CrossFit Solace, which is a great gym if you're in New York City, by the way. And uh, I think I snatched like seventy and clean and jerked one hundred and three, which is still not too far off my numbers now. Pounds, but, or kilos? Uh, <laughs> uh, kilo, uh, kilos. Those were kilos. Yeah, that was that was me doing a little dig on you. I mean, still, I'm not too far off my numbers now, but whatever. Uh, but yeah, no, so you had just started transitioning into your, into your like, I'm Mike Dewar, the weightlifting guy at that point. <laughs> that's, that's exactly, exactly how I, how I phrased it to people. I was, yeah, I was like, that's what know, told it wasn't me. like, hand them the business card. It was like, I am Mike Dewar. Hi, I am Mike guy. Dewar, weightlifting guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So. You know, fast forward now, gosh, that was like five years ago, six years ago, maybe six years ago. Yeah, it was six years ago. I don't want to do the math, but um, it's been it's been a while. And through that, um, you know, I've grown my weightlifting kind of platform and the audience and, and on the backside of things, Alec has kind of always been there as an ear to me to kind of, you know, wrap ideas around and, and just kind of, you know, bounce things off if things are working, things aren't working. Um, you know, he even uh, revolutionized the sport of the split jerk um, recently, <laughs> just telling somebody to switch their feet. And, uh, and yeah, it has, uh, it has helped a lot. So it's, it's, as I said in the intro, it's really big to uh, have people around you who just love the same things you do and that you can um, bounce ideas off of and just kind of, you know, shoot the shit and, and have great conversations. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the best coaches, or at least the, the coaches who I personally find to be the best coaches within, let's, let's keep it to just weightlifting for now, or I guess all strength sports, are the ones that have, you know, a glossary or a list of guys that they go to, guys and girls that they go to, and just shoot the shit and talk. Because, like, yes, at the end of the day, like, science is science. There are basic principles that just you have to adhere to or at least are just sound and solid. But there are ways, there are many different ways to skin a cat and to get there, and the guys that talk to other coaches the most are often the best coaches because if you if you end up just isolating yourself within your own ideas you're gonna you're gonna go stagnant or you're not gonna know how to solve certain puzzles when they come your way and you know in the, in the form of a weight like you know someone has a problem like like matt you know matt's a great example you just mentioned the split jerk you know you had tried literally every single thing in the book to get matt's jerk Matt's, uh, for reference, Matt is Mike Dewar's uh, 81 kilo weightlifter. You're one of your best weightlifters. Yeah. And, you know, you tried everything in the book to get this guy to split jerk with greater proficiency. And he just, you know, it's constantly sending the bar forward, uh, even on PR attempts, things that he would make. You know, he'd make big numbers. Like, I think he hit 145 at uh, an AO series or no, uh, it was a U uh, University U25, Nationals. Yeah. U25s. He hit, you know, 145 clean and jerk there. Uh, third attempt. About two inches forward. forward. And I'm like, Man, he he's got so much more potential if we can fix it. Right, and those two inches—that's that's one fifty. That's one fifty-five. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's everything. So anyway, you know, you tried everything like a good coach did. You tried goddamn everything, and you know, one day on your roof, frustrated, you know, he's smoking cigars on the roof, and you're like, I don't know what to do with this guy. 
And I would only have this frame of reference because I was a wrestler in high school. And I asked you, you know, which, which is his wrestling leg? Which leg did he have forward in wrestling? Turns out he had his wrestling leg is the leg that he had going forward in the split. And more oftentimes than not, your stronger leg should be the leg going in the back for the jerk uh, as an anchor. And it's just something that, you know, you didn't necessarily would even think of because you didn't wrestle. And I only knew that because I wrestled and then got into weightlifting. So, you know, long story short, you know, if you're not bouncing off ideas with coaches who you feel are are good or at least are good at something, you're just going to, you're just not going to go anywhere in reality. You're not going to have those, those star athletes. You're not going to produce real winners because you're just isolating yourself. Yeah. And I mean, that's, uh, and, that, and that's a good example of another, why you should be having these conversations and people don't, you know, like for me after that, when it was like, well, just switch his feet. I was like, well, Alec, I don't think it's that easy. And then I did it. <laughs> and I was like, it, it was very humbling. Cause I was like, I literally scoured like all the, all the, the, the articles out there, the videos, I believe I was it. trying everything. Right. I believe it. And, and I went, and, and we talk about like the certifications. Everyone's asking me like, is USAW2 really worth it? And, and I do think it because I think the, the biggest takeaway that I got from that was like, no lifters the same. So what I was doing is I was, you know, doing and everyone, okay, what foot you put forward in the split? And I was, you know, pushing them behind. Like that was like basic level one stuff that they taught us. And yep. he stepped forward with his, with his other foot. And I was like, okay, that's, that's you. Yeah. And yeah. You know, we let him go two years and then now we're like, holy crap. Like all we had to do is maybe just know his basis of a wrestler where he's comfortable in the split and let him just do it. Yeah, man. It's it, sometimes it's really just that simple. Not all the time. Like I wish it was that simple all the time, but sometimes it's just that simple. And you know, you don't get that. You wouldn't get that perspective unless you talk to other coaches. You know, yeah. there's a lot of ego caught up in well just about anything in reality but there's a lot of ego especially in training where you know people want to be the guru like you know guy or girl doesn't matter they want to be the one to be the bastion or just the conduit of information and that leads to nowhere in my opinion like that is a quick way to suck in a couple of years because you're not going to learn anything you're not going to learn a damn thing you're not going to see other perspectives and it's not like it's easy for me too like you know if i get suggestions i've gotten suggestions from other coaches or athletes and initially, you know, I'm very, you know, whatever, rabble, rabble, rabble. And then, you know, I'll sit and think about it. I'm like, oh, well, you know, that person might have a point, you know, and, and that's something to think about. You know, you hear it all the time from, you know, really good coach, like Travis Mash, great coach. You know, people could say whatever they want about the guy, but he is constantly talking to other coaches and praising other coaches when he gets ideas from them. And, uh, you know, like, uh, what's it? Recently, well, he's a recent example. You know, recently – he started using more split squat variations mash after seeing will fleming use it a bunch with his athletes and people getting better in their positions Mm -hmm. so and that's just one example and he and he mentioned it on the social media like oh yeah you know he mentioned will um and he also you know will the other day mentioned dane miller you know garage strength as one of his main resources for information And, and then he also referenced mckenna the point is really good coaches have this these networks and if you're a coach and you're listening to this and you don't, ha- you don't have a circle of other coaches that either do what you do or do things adjacent to what you do and you don't talk to them, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're not learning. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – Even if you are yielding great results, you still need to talk to people. Yeah, and, and I think uh, – well, I mean, this is – I guess we can kind of go into the coaches' coach thing because I think it's a good segue. But um, there's a lot of benefits of maybe not necessarily working with coaches, but I do think that is also a benefit in, the, in that itself. But – having those coaches around you, like what we have here, or just following these guys, but 
for whatever reason, the ego comes keeps on coming back into play. And, and I mean, other than ego, do you think there's any other reasons why a coach would be hesitant to go with a coach that they know could help them out? Is it, is it really yeah. you're just afraid of the ego aspect? You know, the ego is a big thing. But I, unfortunately, what I think a lot of it has to do with is a famine mentality, you know. If you are a coach and you go on social media and you say, oh, I learned this from this person, I think some coaches are scared to do that because they're fearful, fearful that their clients or potential clients will not go to them, but instead go to the guy that gave them that information. Yeah. I think that's what people are scared of. You know, they're scared of maybe losing business or seeming like they actually don't know what they're talking about. There's a lot of that. And I get it. Like when, when I was – you know, it took a long time for me to even start coaching people uh, publicly because, you know, it was a combination of one, I just wasn't a full-time coach. And two, uh, definitely a bit of an ego thing in that, like, oh, you know, I don't know if I, you know, who am I? It's a lot of that, like, who am I to say what people should and shouldn't do? And that all at the end of the day, it just comes down to like a fear mentality that it's just not going to get you anywhere. It's yeah. just not, you know, talk, talk to the guy or girl that knows way more than you let them teach you something and then praise them for that thing that they're good at. And that's just how you end up getting better in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I always find it. So I think obviously the industry of, of fitness has a lot of egos to begin with. Right. Um, I think it draws yeah. a certain type of person, uh, yeah. which can be yeah, for good or maniacs. for bad. Right. Definitely. But I think like it's interesting because in like the, in business per se, right. In business, we have these mastermind groups where, you know, top execs are talking with other executives. And it might even, you know, like the bank executives are all talking together, even though they're at conflicting banks or competing banks. But somehow that's like viewed as conducive and that's like the right thing to do. And, and we know that those are things that successful people do. Yet in our industry, it's almost seemed like what you said is there's the ego where people are afraid they're going to lose business or they're going to. You know, they're going to be outed as this guy that doesn't know anything and just uses ideas from other people. But I, I just find it interesting that in our industry, people are afraid of that. Yet in every other industry, that's like, if you're not doing that, you're not setting yourself up for success. Yeah, and I totally agree. It's, it's odd that that's become, it's seemingly a norm. But you know what? The guys that are doing the best in our industry, and we'll keep it to weightlifting, aren't doing that. You know, they're doing what we're talking about. You know, if you look at guys like Dave Spitz, you know, Dave Spitz's whole business model in the beginning, you know, he was a guy that worked on Wall Street. He had a lot of money. He just brought in coaches way better than him because he wasn't a coach yet. You know, he brought in Glenn, um, Glenn Penley. He brought in, he literally brought in Abijayev and, and a few other people like Taroki stopped by. And he did all that because he wanted to learn. He figured out the things that he liked, the things that he didn't like, got better himself. And then with that knowledge, now he's even expanding further into things like uh, getting uh, NFL players ready for combine. So like, and he wouldn't be able to do all that if he didn't, if he wasn't the type of guy to bring in better resources for that specific thing and then learn from it. You know, Travis Mesh, same exact thing. Travis Mesh, what now, now known as, you know, one of the best weightlifting coaches in the U.S. You know, he has like, I think he has four Team USA members on his squad more than any other team. And he was a fucking powerlifter. Yeah. Like, he, like he didn't, he was, he literally wasn't even a weightlifter. He was a champion powerlifter. He, he tried out for the U S bobsled team. You know, he was in all these different power sports, not really. And he did, he did a little bit of weightlifting before college, but point is he got better because what did he do? He went to MD USA when it was still around. He learned under Don McCullough and uh, Kane Wilkes, dad, who I can't remember his name right now. And he surrounded himself, oh, and, and Glenn as well. And he surrounded himself with people who were way better than him, 
And he still to this day is constantly, constantly references those guys, constantly brings on people smarter than him. Even, even newer coaches, you know, newer as in international newer. You know, Kevin Simmons, the, the former coach of Harrison Morris, he's always talking to Kevin Simmons and learning from him. And, that's, and that guy's brand new. So if he, the best in the industry are doing just that. And anyone else that isn't, you know, you, you see a lot of like thievery of templates or, or, or uh, just not accrediting people for whatever. Like those guys ultimately suck. And they're not going to fucking go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like they just, yeah. they blow. And I think that, you know, obviously we're, we're both passionate in the world of weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting. But I mean, as a, as a strength coach also in like the college and high school settings, like I still think there's a lot of great things coming out, but like all these principles can apply to those, you know, whether you're a powerlifter, whether you're a sports strength coach um, or like, honestly, like I love doing this type of podcast because I'll get coaches on here, but I'll get like a finance person on here. So, yeah, I mean, the main thing is like a coach's coach, whatever you want to get coached in, whether that's personal finance, fitness, it's okay to do that. Like that's also, you have to do that to succeed. You have to, you absolutely have to, you know, recently, recently I started coaching a strongman athlete who's getting ready to compete. She's getting ready to compete at a meet. And I've never, I've never trained in strongman myself. I only understand principles of getting into someone very strong. I understand those principles well. I understand conditioning. I understand strength, but I don't understand that sport. So I immediately contacted a girl, a woman named Leifa Ingalls, who's quite literally the best female strong, strongman athlete on the planet. And I, you know, I paid her for her time and we had consultations on regressions, progressions, uh, on, on the implements, you know, the strongman implements and, you know, the things that she's used, some of the tactics that she's approached with, you know, not necessarily on program design and how to periodize strength because we both already know how to do that, but just ways to get creative and approach the implements uh, strategically and more importantly, skillfully. You know, I, I immediately went to people like that because I wanted to do a really good job and I immediately, you know, I praise her now because she helped me out. And ultimately that just makes me a better coach now because now I have some lessons from literally one of the best. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's so like, I love that segue you just did because part of this coach's coach, you know, obviously we both have experience with that. Um, and I just want to go over some ways that people can kind of take this conversation to the next step, which is how do you, you know, how do you start to even find a coach? What, what things are you looking to that, the qualifications? And then more than that, OK, say we found someone you went out and you were like, listen, I'm just going to direct direct contact this person. I'm going to, you know pay them for them time for their time. And it was as simple as that. Right. So yeah, like this is, yeah. people have it's not no that hard growing 300, $400 towards a certification. But you know, if you could, if you could have someone's time for three hours to pick their brain and this, somebody is, you know, the, the one of the best in their sport, right. It's like, yeah, that'd be a no brainer too. Right. Right. It doesn't get you like CEUs and all those formal things, which obviously are important in some industries with coaches, but yeah, like, all it takes is some initiative. And I, and I do think like, yeah. you know, I've had people like, you know, want to talk with me and, you know, out here I'm, I'm, you know, I just recently moved to Cincinnati. So I've had coaches trying to just kind of pick my brain about things that I've done at the college level with baseball because baseball is big here. And it's like, okay, they, I mean, like they came out, they bought me lunch and we just had a conversation. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, but, that, but that's how you do it. You know, when, if you're looking for a coach, if you're looking for a good coach, so, and you're a coach yourself or you're an athlete, it doesn't matter. And you're looking for someone to, ed- basically, if you're looking for someone to educate you on something, I would say there's three main things you want to look for. You want to, you know, and if you get two out of three, that's awesome. If you get three out of three, it's perfect. One, a formal education and background and whatever that is. And let, let's keep it to the strength sports. So is the person, the person go to college? 
Did they study exercise science? Did they, uh, did they, you know, intern for a long time under, under strength coaches, whatever that education, whatever education means to you, did they do it? Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be college, but college is a good start. Right. Uh, so basic one formal education Two, has the person been to where you're trying to go to in terms of the actual sport or athletics? Like, are they a national champion? Did they go to nationals? Did they do X, Y, and Z? Has the person been there? That's number two. Or number three, has the person gotten other people to where you want to go or to where you want to bring your athletes? Now, if they have three out of three, that's perfect. If they have two out of three, that's really good. One out of three, maybe keep looking. Yeah, that's, I love that. That's a good start. That's awesome. That's a good start. That's how you find a good coach. And that's something that I, and again, like I have no problem referencing where I get this information. I got that from uh, Chad Wesley Smith and Max Ada. That's something that they talked about. You know, when you're looking for a coach, those are the three things that they mentioned. And that's what those guys did when they started their career. You know, uh, you know, in similar to Max, you know, I don't have a formal education college wise. I just, I purely got my education within the iron sports by, you know, from ages 19 to 24, 25, I literally would just intern. I was interning and under some of the best coaches in all the East coast and just talking to them every fucking day. Yeah. Because I did, you know, I, I, I dropped, I was in college originally for journalism and I didn't finish. So I've, you know, I've always been investigative, but like, I just didn't bother to finish the college degree. Whereas you did, and you have your exercise science background and that's awesome. And that gives you a different type of perspective that one might not necessarily have if they didn't. It's not necessarily the best one, but it is a good one and it can be used well, you know? Uh, and you know, the other two things are self-explanatory and, you know, and like you just mentioned, go and buy, just go to that person. I think the best thing anyone could do if you're a strength coach and you want to learn how to get good at something, just go to the person that's the best at that thing. Give them money, give them your time, give them your service, whatever you got to do, and just learn. Like, just go talk to that person. Go work for them. Yeah. Like, when I first came to New York, I was 19. I Googled, I literally Googled best strength coast East, East Coast or something like that. And it just so happens, it was my uncle's coworker, Dan Shrink, is who came up. It was the first guy that came up for strength sports in the East Coast. You know, Dan was like the hypertrophy guy. He was the strength guy. and He was at peak performance. You know, he, he was on the, you know, he was on the board of bodybuilding.com and I think a few other things. Like he just had a lot of content out. So his name came up first in the Google engine search. And what did I do? I hit him up. I sent him an email. I immediately, even though I didn't have the money at the time, I had to find a job just to be able to afford it. But I hired him to be my coach. And then I asked him, I was relentless with Dan. I was relentless. Every fucking weekend I'd ask him if I could come shadow his sessions just, just watch what he did at peak. And I wasn't, I wasn't even an intern there at the time. I didn't work at the time. I was just some kid literally emailing. I was relentless. And eventually he started letting me go. And then after that, I got an internship because of it. And then things went from there. And Dan was my coach from that point for like three, four years. Yeah. And, uh, but that's how you got to do it. Like you, you have to go to the person better than you. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think we've, we've kind of like, hopefully people are now getting the idea that they need to, to surround themselves with coaches. It might not be necessarily a one-on-one coach mentor. Maybe it's starting out with linking up with coaches that are in your area, right, that you mesh well with, or maybe coaches that you might not know that you at least respect their work and, you know, they meet those two out of three criterion. Shoot them a DM and be like, hey, can we start a group chat, right? And just, I mean, we, we're in a group chat on Instagram. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun with things outside of the fitness, but every once in a while, right, we have some really deep conversations about training or about issues that we're having with our athletes. And it's, it's always a great uh, learning experience for me because instead of just, you know, sitting and talking with one person, 
I got three, four other guys in there who are coming from all different backgrounds that we all are kind of in that same direction. So, you know, you might try and find somebody like a Max Aida, right? Yeah. He might be super busy. Yeah, and this is the thing. He might be, but also you'd be shocked. Sometimes you could get him. Like, I remember, uh, what did I, recently – Last year, you know, I was, I was, I was actually being coached by, um, actually, no, let's do what's happening this year. You know, this year I hired, uh, Will Fleming to coach me in certain aspects. And I, and I specifically hired Will because ultimately I know how to get strong and I, I know how to put in the work. I know how to get other people strong. Like maximal strength is not my weakness in terms of coaching. Like I get people strong. I know that. But what I, what I'm not good at is the more, the, the nuance and the, 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 the very high-level skilled portions of teaching the Olympic lifts or even doing them myself, I'm not particularly good at that. That's not my strength. I'm really good at getting people strong for it, but not necessarily more skillful in the task. So I hired Will Fleming. You know, I've been being coached by him now for the past couple months. It's been really awesome. He, just, you know, he gives me little cues here and there to help my technique. And it's, it's working well, but, it, it's, but I want it to be better. So I'm, you know, next month, I'm literally going to move to Indiana for the month you know, all of July, July 1st to July 30th. And I'm going to train with the dude every day, twice a day. One, because I know it's going to make me a way better athlete and I can get towards my, my athletic goals sooner. But two, and I would say more importantly, it's going to make me a way better coach. Like me and this dude hanging out every day, twice a day. I'm going to learn a whole lot about th- those things that I just mentioned, the things that he's really good at and the things that I'm not particularly good at. And that's just what, what you kind of have to do. It, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that extreme where you have to move somewhere. But if you can, if you're young enough, dumb enough, and strong enough, fuck it. Like, go get it done. Like, you only, you can only, go get it done. If you have that opportunity and you don't do it, that's kind of foolish. And, and, and this is just a side plug, but – and if you're, able to, if you're able to support yourself from an online business, right, whether that's online programming or this and that, which, mm-hmm. which obviously you're starting to. Yeah. Uh, you know, like that's what, what – Barbell CEO, like what I, what I had so many questions about was how do you do that? Right, which we can get into another day because I'd love to pick your brain, but you're doing that. So it's like, whether that means go travel for the sake of traveling or go travel to live with another coach, right? I mean, it's like, you have the opportunity, take it. Yeah, you have to. And even if it's small, like, like you mentioned before, even if it's very small discourse as a DM and you say, hey man, you know, ask one question, that's good enough as a start. Like, it ha- but it has to be something. You have to do something. If you really care and you genuinely want to get very good at this, you know, let's just say strength sports, you have to have to go out for these guys and pick their brain. And then more importantly, you have to put yourself out there and start coaching. Totally. You just have to start coaching and you can't say no to anybody. You got to take them all and you got to figure it out. Yeah. I, I So when I was uh, interning way back like 10 years ago, one of the best words of advice that I got, right. Cause as an intern, as a new coach, you know, you're not with the, you know, I, I wasn't training like, the you know the all-american division one football players on the team right you were dealing with like the punters um yep you know the back third string quarterbacks and and in that beginning you know so maybe it's like your beginner lifters however you want to translate that to whatever your coach but if you can get the the less genetically gifted athlete to improve Imagine what's going to happen when you do get somebody who's genetically gifted, right? So it's oh, like, yeah. I mean, all, all these great coaches will get, uh, you know, get these high-level guys who just come in and they're already great, and they make them better, and that is commendable. Like, that's definitely hard work, and I think the margin for error there is much harder. So it, coaching-wise, you have to be yeah. very, very on top of it. 
but it's, it's not any different than somebody who, or a trainer that takes somebody from the ground up and get them to the intermediate phase. Like you probably had to go through not a lot all. of aches and pains and mental struggles to get to that point. So don't sell yourself short if that's where you're working at, because that's just as important. Not at all. The, one of the main deciding factors in me choosing to work with Will, Will recently was that right there. I, w- I watched his athletes uh, online, and a lot of them, I was, I was physically stronger than a lot of them, but their movement quality was leaps and bounds ahead of mine. And it didn't even matter their age. It was, the, the older athletes, the younger, the boys, it didn't matter. They all had this wonderful movement quality about them, which is purely indicative to his coaching style. And, you know, and that is a tell for me. It's like, okay, this guy knows how to teach the thing. I want to go learn from that guy. Yeah. You know, and he's clearly not saying no to everybody. He's, he's taking everybody and he learned. And that's how you become a good coach. You know, I, you know it, it's really just that simple. Like with you, you know, you have a barbell club out of CrossFit gyms and you get all types of people walking in the doors for your classes. And it's your job to make them proficient or as, as proficient as they could get at two very complex lifts. And you do a great job of it. You know, you, you have certain people, you know, that you, you initially would look at and be like, no fucking way. And then, you know, like six months later, they're doing snatch clean and jerk. It's like, and they competed on top of it. Yeah. It's great. Like, that's how, you know, that's a sign of a very good coach. Can you take someone that in reality probably should suck and make them, you know, suck less? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's yeah, just that's, that simple. That, that, that is true. Um, so a good segue, because I know, and if people check out your Instagram, um, you went through just an onslaught of unilateral training. Oh yeah, yes I did. Right, and and it's it's it's. I it's actually cool have a pretty because... good perspective on this. Yeah. What's that? I said, I, yeah, you know, you're right. I have a pretty good perspective on this because I have done both uh, squatting front or back squat every day for three months. I've done that, and I've also f- unilateral squatted almost every day for three months. I've done them both. Yeah, it's uh, so. I want to uh, rewind, right? Because I remember a while ago, and I'm going to kind of put you on blast here. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. I do know where you're going uh, with this. A while ago, before you started working with Will, and and, yep. and and I do think that I would like to still touch on like the, the bilateral versus unilateral training um, yep. arguments here, right? Um, and we'll kind of start, you know, on, on the, the Mike Boyle classic. Going from the, the general fitness and life all the way down to where we're doing it here. So, Back when that happened, you know, I, I think it was, was it Eric Cressy. Uh, it was, we talked about all the arguments. I think it was uh, Cressy and Boyle, right? Cressy and Boyle, right? And, and, and essentially, so if you don't know these guys, they are very big into the formal sport, so specifically baseball. Yep. And they don't do a lot of bilateral uh, squatting. I mean, they do, but they're, they're a big proponent on, like, baseball and sports, unilateral movements. Like, we need to be training yep. unilateral, unilateral work. And Especially Boyle, I'd say. Boyle, yeah. And, and which, you know, at face value, a lot of lifters who are like, the squat's king, right? Like got, got, a, little, got a little hurt off of it. Got butt hurt. Butt hurt, right? Um, <laughs> not glute hurt because they were doing unilateral training because yep. that helps with the yeah. glute activation. Oh, you fucking nerd. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so when we had this conversation, I could see both arguments, right? Because I do think that you need to have bilateral training because it just – it takes balance out of the equation, allows you to load the, the nervous system, allows you to build just significant amounts of muscle mass and strength. But some sports, you might not need high top end strength, right? And, and what was happening yeah. in this conversation with us and a couple other people is 
and it's all about context, is they were looking at what you had to say and being like, well, you know, you don't, you don't need it. It's not, you know, you don't need to do that. You should train bilateral or unilateral. And mm-hmm. I agreed with where you were coming from, man, where they were coming from, where it's like, well, listen, if you're in a strength and power sport where maximal strength and power is your is your sport. It's not like you know running a forty. You're doing lateral agility. I do think that the squat has its place now, and I do think it should be a pillar. That said, a lot of people you look at unilateral training in terms of like split squats and Bulgarians, and they think of it as an accessory movement. And what I what I loved seeing what you were doing, what Will was doing, you know, like I was doing that when I you know just for whatever reason my squat just kind of hit a plateau was. Mm-hmm. If you can set yourself up in the rack or find a way to make it safer where you can start adding load, you can really take the unilateral split squat or the Bulgarian front rack, back rack, and really load that thing up. I mean, what were you doing the uh, other day I saw? I, I was doing, uh, at the peak, I did 10 weeks of five by fives, <laughs> Bulgarian split squats with the safety bar. And at the peak of it, at the end of the cycle, I was doing five sets of five with 142 kilo which is 315 pounds per leg, per leg, yes. per leg at, at literally week one. And I'm not exaggerating here because doer, you were there. You watched, my, or you watched my very first I session. I was doing body weight, literally just my body. And I was quite, I was toppling over. I couldn't, I physically couldn't do the task. It was humbling and so frustrating and so embarrassing because, you know, I'm a guy you know, that, you know, I, you know, I did squat every day program. I, I max my back in front all the time and like, you know, deadlift, whatever. All these big numbers or bigger numbers. And I'm getting the shit kicked out of me by a body weight rear foot elevated squat. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And then 15 weeks later, no, 10 weeks later, it was the 315 per leg, five by five. And then, you know, yesterday I had to do front rack version. I did 120 kilo, 120. I think I did, I think I did 120 for three sets of eight on the front rack. Good God. That's, but that's great. Yeah, it's good. Like, and this is the thing, you know, to what you were saying, you know, back to what you're saying, how I was before, because I was totally the dude that was like, Oh, you know, it's bullshit. You don't need to do blah, 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 blah. But the problem is if you wear red glasses, you can't be surprised and the world is red. Okay. I was wearing red glasses. I was being ignorant. And the point, and usually the answer somewhere in the middle, you know, you got to just look at things clearly for what it is. I was, I had no experience and I was looking at things from just purely that perspective. It wasn't realizing that if you can load it up and really progress it in an intelligent way and, and not just like, not just small weight. Like if you're a strong guy, you know, if you're a guy squatting, you know, over 400 pounds, I don't want to see 60 kilos on your split squat stuff. Like that's ridiculous. You have to load it up. And what I learned was after loading it up and getting heavy and, you know, doing things right, my back squats and my front squats, the positions were out of control. They, they improved by, by ridiculous margins in terms of my ability to sustain a perfectly upright torso, squatting up and down through the quads and, and just going after strength cycles. So it really just set up really ideal strength cycles. And I'm gonna say only if you really could add the load to the split squat, you know? And, and, and more importantly, what I learned out of all that was like, you don't know everything, dude. Like you gotta, like you got you have to, there's, you know, as, and you know, I'll say it candidly, as much of a troll Mike Boyle is, and he is a troll, he, that dude has got some really good information. He's got some really good information in terms of the split squats. It's not just boo hockey, like some weightlifters would say. Um, you know, and that stuff will help you. 
Now, do I think it's a, a replacement of a squat? No, absolutely not. It's ridiculous. But do I think you could use it in its own day? Like, absolutely. Like, you know, you could, and, you know, on a Wednesday, for some reason, Wednesday is usually like a power day for most weightlifters, you know, as opposed to doing, let's say, a heavy front loaded squat with a pause or something just to keep the legs fresh. You know, you could do a five by five split squat and you could add that volume and track that total tonnage moved over the next three months and see where you're at by the end of that cycle, that macro cycle. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually what I've been doing. And, you know, so obviously you used it to, you know, improve your positions. It, the fact that you weren't able, and this is maybe something that people can kind of self-assess and be like, should I start doing this? And most likely the answer is yes. Right. If you are somebody who's squatting, you know, hundred pounds or, or 200, 300, whatever it is, or a beginner and you can't comfortably do split squats, Right. And I don't know what percentages here somebody should be able to split squat relative to the back squat. But I'm going to say, like, if you can't split squat, let's say 40 to 50 percent of your back squat comfortably, like there's a problem heavy. There's a problem. There's there's probably an issue. I'll say this. I was I was I was squatting 430 pounds and I couldn't do a body weight split squat. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a real problem. That, that's an issue. That's a real issue that needs to be addressed because that means my movement quality is shit. Yeah. Like my, my, what I ended up learning was that my hips were completely locked uh, in place and my pelvis couldn't, it, it, you know, my hips couldn't move individually essentially, which, you know, in the long run, that's going to affect your weightlifting. Yes, it's a bilateral sport. I understand that. However, the more mobile, uh, control, I should say controlled mobile, uh, mobile you are and and uh, a general, generally athletic, the better your weightlifting is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, once again, don't use that 40 to 50% of like, okay, I hit it and I'm good. It's not like that cut and dry. But I think the message here is if you're somebody who just struggles with that, maybe your balance is off, like you're going to find improvements in, like you, you mentioned, your, your movement mechanics, right? Your, your positioning in the squat. Like I'm going to nerd out here real quick. And like we know that yeah. unilateral training can help increase muscle activation on whatever limb you're using, right? It's called like bilateral oh, deficit. Yeah. You can increase strength. So there is a lot of merit for that, no matter what level you are. And then also, I mean, like, even though you've got two legs down and you're squatting, like each leg is still working individually. So oh, yeah. you might not see, like, and this is something that I was dealing with, was I had some quad, quad tendonitis for the longest time of spring. And I was just continuing to squat. Well, what happened was I, maybe it was me being crazy, but I could actually feel my left leg, which was not doing so great, under, under, uh, being underutilized. And I was loading up my right, almost like shifting weight to oh, the yeah. point where it, I was squatting so much and so frequently and still not addressing that, that my right leg actually became like another half inch larger than my left. Yeah, no, that's that totally makes sense. You know, and, and people will ignore those big signs. I know I did in the beginning of my career because I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but yeah, yeah, you can't. And it, it's funny too because like I would program, you know, single arm lat pull downs or bench or all these types of accessories for my strongman or my weightlifters. I would do all that for the upper body, but I was like, nah, nah. I mean, like reverse lunges at the very most for my lower. It's like it's it's so funny looking back. Like, what kind of foolish thinking is that? Like, you need to attack. The, 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 you know, the unilateral side of things and attack it aggressively. And, and it, what's, what's great about it is that I'll tell you this, it didn't hit my CNS almost, like at all because the, the ultimately the, even the heavier load, you know, the 142s, the 130s, 120s for the split squats, that's not, that's nothing in comparison to my bilateral squats. And, because, and what the benefit of that is, 
that means you could do it in higher frequency and not tax or CNS as heavy as if you were to squat every day up, upward of 88 and higher percent. You know what I mean? I love so, that. Yeah. So, if, so if you could increase your frequency of actually getting your legs stronger, getting a load on your back every day and not tax your CNS as much, you're, you're only doing yourself massive benefits, especially if it's like a quote unquote off season. If you're a weightlifter, like you don't have a competition for another six months or three months, you could do, let's say six months, you could do two, three months, you could do three months of aggressive two to three times a week split squats, still keep in a heavy back squat or a moderate back squat and a moderate front squat. And your total tonnage moved per leg will fly. So by the time you get back to those regular cycles where it's just snatch, clean, and jerk, squat, pull, you know, you're really setting yourself up to be able to, to, to last, to be able to last through those cycles. More importantly, like that, that sets you up for a great strength cycle to come. And even more importantly, a peaking cycle and not to be completely falling apart by the end of it. Exactly. That's the, that's the real benefit of it all. I, I, th I think what, well, yeah, the, the, the CNS aspect, like, you know, you, you're doing 315 single leg squat, like relative to your top end, like if you have 430 on your back, right, that's your 100% your CNS is jacked up through the roof. Well, right. that's only 70% of that, right? So you're allowing yourself to train harder, get the volume, which we, we, it's been clearly documented that volume, no matter who you are, is still one of the biggest indicators of your ability to gain muscle mass at any level, yep. right? Yep. And we also know that, that volume isn't necessarily just godless or ungodly amounts of reps, right? It's also, we have to have load. And we know that that yeah. loading between that, like, 70 65 uh, you know 80 percent is really where we don't stress the cns too much because once you get in the 80s and 90s you are but yeah. we're able to get a lot of volume in with heavy enough weight that stimulates the hormonal responses all that science stuff that, that i nerd out about you can do that by integrating this unilateral training whether it's your legs your rdls your you know single arm bench presses uh in addition to correcting all the other aspects of, uh, you know, mobility and, and movement and, and hitting the smaller muscle groups that maybe get forget, forgotten just Absolutely. by doing these things. You know, prior, prior to my, you know, 10 week cycle, like just chaotic split squats. And it was, the thing was, it was also a squat every day. Like that was also a squat every day program essentially. And it just had a lot of split squats, but prior to that, you know, my program prior, I was mostly just hitting heavy fives, I would do, I would do percentage based high, high intensity, let's say five by five, five, like traditional rep schemes on, like, on a Monday, you know, and there was another front squat after that on a Tuesday. And then on Wednesday was heavy deads and probably another front squat. So it was like a very traditional near Bulgarian like approach is what I was doing before. And it worked wonderfully well. I got ridiculously strong. My lifts didn't necessarily get more technical, but that's more on me, but I got very strong now. I, but I was also getting beat up like my wrists were getting really hurt during that uh my i partially tore my right hamstring during that time about uh, 20 weeks ago like i and i felt that like there was a lot of things going on and i had trained that way for about a year and once i got onto that split squat cycle and everything else like all these aches and pains started to, to heal up and i was still able to increase my my top end strength by just not beating the shit out of myself essentially constantly and, that, and that's the real benefit of all this and then you know then you got to go through cycles then you got to go back to that you know bulgarian type way during certain strength because i think there's real benefits to it but then you always you know you should have that toolbox to be able to then go back around and say okay now we're going to work on our deficits and or this and the whatever you know what i mean yeah no and so i and you, you hit the second part right it's like 
if you can't achieve these things, you're somebody out there who can't achieve maybe that 40, 50% of your back squat, or you're just unstable, you should probably look at it. If you're somebody who also is doing all these bilateral squatting movements and you're plateauing, or maybe you're progressing still, which is great. That doesn't mean you're still in the clear, right? Because if you're progressing, but like your freaking wrists are hurting and your joints are hurting and your connected tissues and you wake up sore, like there is a fine line there, but you can't stay in that range forever. And I, I'm, yeah. you know, uh, culprit to this is I would, I would do that. And then what happens is you'd be able to blow yourself out for four months and you lose four months of training. If you just simply introduced some unilateral training, so like, you know, after your heavy, you know, threes and fours or twos, whatever it is, do some accessory work, but instead of having it really light and just doing 20 reps, which also could be helpful at times, be okay with saying, okay, then I'm going to go into four sets of six to eight of a front rack Bulgarian and just put some muscle mass and you still get some loading on there. So you're, yeah. you're, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. It's that easy. I would even even go beyond that. I would say like, you don't even like I, I, as weightlifters, we're so scared to not have a squat like almost every day, like some sort of bilateral squat every day. I would say maybe one of or two of your days should just be a split squat day as the main lift. Like that is your main lift of the day. After your power snatch or whatever you're doing, variations you're doing, you're not doing a front squat, you're not doing a back squat, you're not going a lot of leg press, you're not doing you're not doing on sled. Just get your ass with the split squat and just do a five by five, something super basic and let that beat you into the ground. Like do it right. Keep your form tight, all that other, but really attack it as if you would attack anything else. Like that could and should be its own uh, important pillar within weightlifting. I would argue. I, re- I would, at this point, I very much would argue that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And um, I, I think even outside of weightlifting, I mean, you, you do this with strong men with the powerlifting, yeah. like, even more so powerlifting. I, I'm not going no, to need start, variation like, strength power debates here, but, from a, from a technique and skill basis, like weightlifting obviously has that a uh, little more advanced, but with that being said, what you can do with the powerlifting is a big indicator. There is obviously CNS and, and, and fatigue there and monitoring that and peaking that, but the bigger and more muscle mass you have in a sport like powerlifting, you just have more raw potential to just put on new strength. So if there's something out there where you can, you know, decrease the intensity of the CNS loading yet still move heavy weights that will increase your leg strength and size. Like why? why it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. And, yeah. and I'll tell you why most of the time the reason why is because it's viciously uncomfortable. That's why yeah. <laughs> it's horrific. And I'm, you know, it's, it's not this easy thing. And, and it's and probably humbling a too. I would think like, you know, as, as you said, like, you, went, you know, you're like, I'm sorry, I squat 400 plus pounds for reps. And then you can't do a body weight. You're like, well, screw this. I'm a, it's easier to just do what you've <laughs> yeah. always done. Yeah, it's you embarrassing. Know? But, like, ultimately, like, what do you want? Do you want to be stronger or do you want to be that guy that sucks? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, awesome. And then, you know, obviously, so uh, when you guys are listening to this, we are really diving in because Alec has a big background in power and strength sports in terms of strongman weightlifting, powerlifting. But you can still take this uh, – and apply it to the formal sports, whether it's baseball, softball, volleyball. We obviously know that there's been huge documentation of unilateral training uh, for injury prevention purposes. But as a strength coach in there, you know, for the past couple of years, I've always seen them being used or, you know, when we talk to coaches where it's, okay, we're going to do some, you know, in the accessory work or we're going to warm up with some split squats. But it's never that main strength block. And, what I was doing a lot with the baseball teams that we were working with is, and this is where I kind of agreed with what uh, 
Boyle and Cresty were saying about the unilateral is you can train these for strength, right? Now, obviously, oh, yeah. if somebody, you know, when you started out, let's say you're this baseball player, this sport athlete, and, you know, you come from squatting 400 pounds and you can't do a split squat. Well, I'm not going to say, all right, Alec, we're going to train you for strength now, so throw on 40% because you obviously haven't established that yet. So it might evolve where maybe you throw it into your program during the accessory and the, you know, the, uh, the warm-up segments, so you're disguising this so they still can see they're squatting. But then you start to work your balance, the little, the little benefits that get out of there until they're to the point where it's like, hey, guys, we're not going to take this movement. We're going to load it up just like you would like a deadlift. We wouldn't just start somebody deadlifting heavy. You'd probably start with the regression, work their mechanics up, and then once they get the green light, you know, we start loading this thing up. Yeah, and I would even argue if you're if you're an athlete listening to this, you know, you're a baseball player or really any sort of field sport athlete, I would argue, you know, to what I was saying about weightlifting, how you could have it, you could have all the split squat stuff in the off season, and then all your main work is bilateral stuff in the meantime. I would reverse it if you're a general athlete. I would say your main work, I would argue, should be the split squat type things, all these indiv- all these unilateral movements for athletics and then maybe on and then your off season you should go for the heavier things and, and learn to brace your bike that because you need i and then you know you you'd have more lightness than i would mike but i'd imagine you need to be you have general athletics strong muscles strong ligaments and not to be taxed in your cns at all during the main season of whatever sport it is you're playing 100 percent. like i i agree like yeah you can obviously still do all these you can do all this year round but your emphasis i agree should be on Outside of the season, I'm not saying you should not not be unilateral. You should still be unilateral, but your emphasis should be yep. on increasing as the most amount of strength and muscle mass you can, which a combination of unilateral but also an emphasis on a lot of bilateral movements like compound big heavy movements um, because those will obviously stress the CNS more. But when you go yeah. into that seasonal phase, right, two things that we typically have to worry about is uh, – unnecessary amounts of stress on the athlete, right? Because when I see an athlete three times in the off season, and then they come to me two to three times in the in season, well, in the off season, they weren't playing, especially in baseball or even in football, they weren't playing, you know, a a game or two games every week. They weren't practicing eight to 10 hours a week and then having to balance that with all the things that usually go on with training in terms of the stresses. So you can use these unilateral uh, aspects in the training to, Make sure that the, the athletes are still going hard because you don't want to, like, cut them slack and then, you know, regress. Yeah, no, right? you could – if, if you're in season, yeah, if you're in season, you should be attacking that split squat like we were talking about. Oh, yeah. Consistent and, and fairly heavy. Like, what would be heavy for you? You should be doing that because you can recover, and, that, and that's why you should attack it. It's not hitting your CNS hard. You can. So if you're in the season, just like if you're in off season, you're attacking your squats, your bench, your deads heavy. In season, you're attacking those unilateral movements and those more athletic-based things just as aggressively, but now you could actually recover for the big game, whatever it is that you're playing. Yeah, and, 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 the, and the, relative load, or the relative loading compared to one of the bilateral movement is going to be lower, so you don't have the CNS stress. You don't have nope. the excessive strain on the tendons, the ligaments, and all the connective tissues. There is some, so you still get that benefit, but they're getting also the, all that strain from all the impact that they're having in sports. So while they might say, oh, my gosh, I'm sore, it's not going to be, oh, my gosh, I'm sore and I'm just drained. My adrenal fatigue's out of the, you know, through the roof. Um, so I agree with that. You know? So I, I do think that there's merit, and that's how you can implement this if you're a strength coach um, or even if you're a personal trainer who works with athletes or even just general population. Like, you know, I see so many trainers, they'll just be so quick to put somebody under a bar. 
And listen, yeah. I love the barbell training. But like people ask me what's, you know, if, if you can only train with one piece of equipment, what would it be? Um, I'd first say barbell and then body weight. Cause I could probably, you know, I would say, okay, well, I can have my body weight also. It's part of me, but I do think that there's merit in having that barbell training for most people, but you wouldn't hurt to just teach this person how to lunge first. Like that's going to help them more in life in the beginning. I, I feel yeah, movement first movement has to come first. And, and, and all, I don't care if it's field sports. I don't care if it's weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman. If you're general pop, I don't give a fuck. Movement comes first. You have to establish the one's ability to be able to move, move effectively, move efficiently. And then you start loading. And that's just, if you want someone to last, that's how you do it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we actually covered a lot in this episode and I don't want to like throw too much at the, the listeners here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I do want to have you back on and, and we'll have to kind of figure out the date, but we, Alec and I both really love, I would say we do a lot with intermediate and advanced uh, lifters, um, whether that's young or old, but there's, it's awesome because I feel like this industry is having a resurgence of the lifting and people are lifting later in life and they're getting started later in life. And the masters athletes are really starting to become something big. Um, yep. I would agree. And and it's, it's, it's cool because I think a lot of people look and they're like, all oh, masters are not strong. And I'm like, no, man, like you, like you work with guys who, you know, are in their thirties, mid thirties, forties. I have some masters athletes and I'm working with guys in their fifties, sixties, and they're still getting stronger. And yeah. while there's a lot of hurdles and obstacles that you have to move around and kind of understand that this person's coming in with some issues and you can't change everything, you can work around them, but you can still make them strong. You can still improve their health and flexibility and increase muscle mass. Um, you just can't do it the same way you're going to do, you know, an 18 year old. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, I don't know if you want to get into all that now, but we say, I think that could be a full one. So uh, I definitely want to tease that one here for the future episode, maybe in like a couple episodes or so, but um, find out next time kids. Yeah, it will be awesome. So, uh, once again, guys, Alec, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram. That's, that's pretty much the only spot you'll find me on. I don't really like anything else. Uh, you find me on Instagram at Alec Jose is my Instagram handle, A-L-E-C-J-O-S-E. And my coaching page where I just post the results of my athletes is RPE11, RPE.11 on Instagram. I think the name says it all. Yeah. Well, if you're a coach, you know what the RPE is, but, um... yeah. But if you're curious, I'm usually RPE 12. Oh, oh. that's because Dewar's a better coach than me, and I'm, I can humbly admit that. No, I, I mean, it's, no, <laughs> that was a joke. The, 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 the moral of the story is don't, don't go hard as you can all the time. <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, awesome. Well, Alec, this was a lot of fun, man. Um, Thanks for having me on, Dewar. I really appreciate it, and uh, I hope people get something, uh, something good out of this, even if it's something small. Yeah, definitely. All right, I'll talk to you later. Later, brother. Have a good day. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Alec Pagan. Uh, really good friend of mine. Just as you can tell, he's a super passionate about the, the strength and power sports as well as just learning and coaching. So take the first step. If you just want to connect with him and kind of pick his brain or, you know, give him some feedback of, you know, how this helped your, helped your training or how you kind of viewed your relationship with other coaches and your growth, uh, you can find him on Instagram. He's always on there. Uh, Alec. Jose, so it's A-L-E-C-J-O-S-E, and his coaching page is R-P-E dot one one. Awesome guy. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we will be tuning in to you guys next time. Have a good one.